What is the most important knowledge every child needs to know through his or her education? This is a very important question that must be answered by every parent, pastor, and Christian educator. Today on Kingdom Occurrence, I will share my thoughts on what needs to be the major focus for the knowledge we teach the next generation. Welcome to Kingdom Currents. My name is Glenn Schultz, the host of this podcast. I often ask teachers what is the one piece of knowledge they want every one of their students to know before leaving their classrooms. I then ask them how they think the parents of their students would answer the same question. Of course, I usually get spiritually focused answers. But this is because they teach in a Christian school and therefore any answers to such questions must be focused on God in order to be right. However, when I visit Christian school websites, I get a much different picture of what knowledge is of greatest importance to schools. When when I look at these websites, and I've visited hundreds of Christian school websites, the focus of most Christian educators and parents is for their children to excel in quote-unquote academic knowledge. Uh, These people want strong SAT scores and ACT scores. Uh, National merit scholar achievement is important. Acceptance at prestigious universities also ranks up near the top. But is that supposed to be the main focus of what we want students to learn? In a recent episode of Kingdom Currents, I walked through scripture to show that the entire biblical worldview narrative is centered on one thing and one thing only, and that's God's desire to be known. We looked at the fact that God created everything in order to express who he is, that he would be known. When we look at the fall and when sin entered the world, it caused man to be separated from God and man no longer retained God in his knowledge. And when there was no knowledge of God in a broken, sinful world, we find ourselves in the mess we're in today. We looked at how redemption restores man's ability to know God and give him glory because Jesus defined eternal life in John 17, 3, as this is eternal life that they may know him, the true God and the one whom he sent. And now we are to go into the restoration process once we're born again and restore the culture by making sure that our children know God. The foundational cornerstone of every worldview is its view of God. When you consider that one's knowledge of God impacts how one views humanity, how one views moral order or purpose or the future or any other aspect of life. Unfortunately, we have compartmentalized our worldview and our lives into the secular and sacred realms. Most of what we call education has been placed in the secular compartment of life, and that's because most Christians actually believe that there is a body of knowledge that is spiritually neutral. But the thing we must understand is there is no such thing as a neutral subject or education. One of the principles of kingdom education states, the education of children and youth must have as its primary focus the increase in the knowledge of God. Now, how does this principle 
play out in the educational process that takes place with children and youth at home, church, and school. First, we must understand how important knowing God is to God himself. Is knowing God all that important to God when you consider all the other things about life? When you go into God's word, you find an answer to that question. If we go back to Hosea, which I looked at in an earlier episode, and we go to chapter 6, God makes it clear what he wants out of each and every one of us. Verse 6 of Hosea chapter 6 reads this way. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Here God is saying, I desire for people to know who I am more than all their religious services and sacrifices. When you realize that God wants every single person to know him above everything else, you can then understand why Paul prayed for his students because the churches he started, those people were his students, and he prayed for them uh, in his letter to the Ephesian church and to the Colossian church, and, and listen to what he said. In Ephesians 1, 16 and 7, uh, 17, Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom, and listen, revelation in the knowledge of him. And then when you go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul gives a similar prayer. He says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and what? Increasing in the knowledge of God. See, Paul understood that knowing God was the highest goal of any person could ever have in his life. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, we find these words. Listen to Paul's cry of his heart. What was most important to him? He said, but what things were once gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, and righteousness, which is from God by faith, now listen to this phrase, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. When we talk about making the highest priority in our lives is to know God, this even impacts the education we give our children and youth. That must be the primary focus of the education we give them, the knowledge of God. See, knowing God is more important than anything else they may learn in school or at home or church. In the 1600s, John Milton wrote a powerful statement about the end or the purpose of education. 
He wrote, The end of education is to repair the ruins of our first parents, Adam and Eve. To know God aright, to love him, to be like him, to imitate him. Boy, I I believe that sums up the entire purpose of education from a kingdom perspective. But when you think about it, the only way we can do the last three things, love him, be like him, and imitate him, is to know him. See, if we don't know him, we can't love him. If we don't know him, we can't be like him. If we don't know him, we can't imitate him. So how do we know God? Well, the only way you can know God is through how he reveals himself to us. And and God reveals himself to us in the two books he wrote. The first book uh, is Creation. Uh, That that, uh, work that he did when he created everything is how he expressed himself. So when we study creation, we should know God. The second book he wrote was the Bible. God's desire for all men to know him has major implications for how we actually educate our children. First, we've got to remember uh, something I mentioned earlier, that there's no such thing as neutral education, and therefore there's no such thing as neutral knowledge or neutral subjects. Uh, The academics are, are not something separated from the spiritual Knowing God must be the primary focus when educating our children and youth, whether it's done at home, church, or at school. The late Dr. Albert Green wrote a book, uh, Reclaiming the Future of Christian Education, and, and he wrote some compelling words in this book. Listen to them carefully. We must avoid the impression that academics represents the fullness of what school is all about. Knowing God in and through the creation is what is important. Now think about what Green is saying. He is saying knowing God is more important than knowing the academic subjects. But even when studying the quote-unquote academic studies, it should lead to students knowing God better and better. Again, listen to how Green explains this. It brings no honor to the Holy Spirit if we then proceed to treat the ordinary school studies, which are derived totally from the created world, as if they have nothing to do with God. They are laden with meaning because they are all part of God's way of giving himself to us, of making himself known to us. That's exactly what Psalms 19.1 the heavens declare the glory of God, and Romans 1.20 actually states, Romans 1.20 says, For the invisible characteristics or attributes of God can be clearly seen by the things he made, and even his eternal power and Godhead. So, so as we take up daily residence in God's word, we can know him. And as we educate our children in all the different subject areas, that are come from God's created order, we can then help them know God in an intimate way. In Exodus 20, we find that the very first three of the Ten Commandments are about having a correct image or a correct knowledge of God. Listen to how God's uh, word explains this in Exodus 20, verses 1 through 7. 
And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not even take my name in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. God is saying above everything else, you better know me for who I am. See, if we form a false image of God, it will bring God's wrath and judgment on us. All you have to do is look back in Exodus when Moses was up on the mount getting these exact commands from God where God wrote them in stone tablets. The people were down making a false image and worshiping a golden calf. And, and, and God brought great judgment to those people because they went and had a false image of who God was. Now, now why does a false image of God bring on such disastrous consequences? Well, first of all, any false image of God obscures part of his glory. God does not want his glory to be obscured or dimmed in any way. But I think even more important is this fact. If we have an improper image of God, it will lead us into wrong actions. Now think about this. If your image of God is only a God of love, mercy, and forgiveness— you don't picture God in his holiness, in his justice, in his wrath. You just see him as a God who is loving, merciful, and forgiving. Well, what that will lead you to do in your everyday life is you don't have to obey God because all you've got to do is ask for forgiveness. If you ask for forgiveness, he's got to forgive you, and therefore whatever you did was no problem. So you see, we've got to go and have a proper knowledge of God in order to behave right. Martin Luther wrote, When anyone depicts God differently from the way he is, he is fashioning an idol. There is no doubt about it. Man was created to know God, lost his purpose and ability to know God because of the fall, regained his purpose and ability to know God through redemption, and now man must bring the knowledge of God into full focus as we attempt to restore our children and youth to know him and give him glory in all they are and do. But first, before we attempt to educate our children and youth to know God, I have a question for you. Do you know him? Now, I don't mean do you know about God, because a lot of people know a lot about God. But do you know him personally and intimately? And if you do, are you determined to grow in your knowledge of God and live your life in line with who he is? Will you make the increase 
of knowing God the major focus of your teaching the children and youth in your homes, at your church, in your school? If not, the world will continue to spin out of control and our children and youth will be devoured by it. Our only hope is to make sure that they know him. I want to thank you for tuning in to Kingdom Currents. Be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family. And you can find out more information about Kingdom Education Ministries by going to my website, kingdomeducationministries.com. As we end this episode of Kingdom Currents, I want to leave you with some encouraging words by the late Dr. S.M. Lockridge. I hope you enjoy this. King was born king. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's a king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's a king of Israel. That's a national king. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. Well, I wonder if you know him. Do you know him? Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? David said the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. My king is the only one whom there's no means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his soulless supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. And he's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in high criticism. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. And that's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. Well, he, he's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He starves God and he dies. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. 
He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the populace. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the lord of lords. That's my king. Yeah. Yeah. That's my king. My king. Yeah. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you, but he, he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yeah. He, he's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you, the heavens of heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explaining him. You can't get him out of your mouth. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah! He always has been. And he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor. And he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him. And there'll be nobody after him. You can't even teach him. And he's not going to resign. That's my king. Here's the kingdom, and the power, and the glory. All the power belongs to my king. We around here talking about black power, and white power, and green power. But it's God's power. Thine is the power. And the glory. We finally get prestige and honor and glory for ourselves, but... The glory is all his. Yes! Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? And ever and ever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all of the forever, then amen. Allow me to take a minute and talk about our sponsor, Frameworks. The support of this Biblical Worldview initiative is what makes the Kingdom Currents podcast possible. Northwest Christian School in Phoenix, Arizona, has partnered with many well-known and established ministries to create relevant online courses taught from a Biblical Worldview context. 
Some of these partners include Young Life, Likewise Worship, Summit Ministries, Stand a Reason, and more. This initiative allows all high school students, whether they attend public, private, or home schools, to take elective courses online where they can actually get credit for these courses at their own schools. For more information on this exciting new initiative, Frameworks, go to ncsaz.org. Again, to learn more about Frameworks, go to ncsaz.org.